it's good that it's a sunny day. I can't see it. My hand is it. My hands are over my head, Heather. I've been reading well, the that latest. Was it. And then, oh, the last few rounds of party policy announcements, they're not even worthy of being called policies, like controlling the number of stores that can sell vaping products, going to make English an official language of New Zealand, as if, and we're going to see a government-mandated, uh, a, a law requiring the way you teach reading, writing and arithmetic. This is really treating a voter like they're idiots. Yeah, it is. It's completely down in the weeds. And what governments should be trying to achieve are um, principled-based decisions that allow everybody in the country to just get on and run their lives in the way that they want to. Yeah. Luckily, um, the voters aren't idiots, and they've sent us in some really good questions. So welcome to our second uh, question podcast episode. I'm Simon Ewing-Jarvey. And I'm Heather Roy. Welcome. So the first one is um, from James from Tiaraha who asks what writ day is. What is writ day? He's heard it being talked about as an important constitutional debate um, preceding an election, but he doesn't know what it means, and he's asking us if we can clarify that for him. And I think you've received another one, Simon, um, also talking about relevant dates before an election. Yeah, there was someone asked about whether they could... Um, oh, Samantha from Gore uh, asked whether... She said, I'm part Māori. And I've been considering whether to stay in the um, general electoral role or to go to the Maori role. Uh, and what do I have to do to switch? And is it too late for this election? So that's a date-based one as well. Sorry to the audience if this is a little bit jumpy. We're trying this by Zoom for the first time. Yes, I did think you know, it was worth it. taking a look at all of the relevant dates leading into the election because it's quite it is quite interesting. Um, at the moment, valedictory, valedictory statements are being heard. Uh, they've started and they'll be rolled out over the next couple of weeks. But if we go back a little bit, we can answer Samantha's question uh, simply. 13 of, 13th of July was the last day to switch to the Maori role. So I'm afraid for this election, Samantha, you've left it a little bit late. Um, you can't just go into the uh, into the polling booth and ask to be changed automatically. That does require a bit of admin. So um, 13 July was that date. And then the um, also three months before the election, and so for this election, the day was 14 July, and that's the regulated period for election expenses begins. So the MPs and the parties all have to uh, be very careful from that point on about how much they spend because that is, um, that is limited. Yeah, and then Parliament sort of stumbles on through to the 31st of August for this particular election anyway, which is the, the final adjournment of the House of the sitting of Parliament. And then your money will be safe for a short period of time. We'll give it up on Parliament, really. Everybody's out and about around the country, and what's happening at Parliament has uh, lost focus, I think. There have been a few stealth bombs uh, sort of laid in there by the current government, uh, put, introducing some legislation that wasn't foreseen, like um, lowering the electoral age to 16 for local government, which lays the path, of course, to you know where. Um, yes. So, yes, there's been, a few, there's been a few little gremlins working around in there, but you're right, mostly people have given up. Yeah, you do have to watch out for those sneaky things that sometimes happen. Um, next important date is the 8th of September, so that's just around the corner, and that's when Parliament is dissolved. Um, so what actually happens then? It's quite interesting if you happen to be on the steps of Parliament that day um, because there's a proclamation that is read out on the steps on behalf of the Governor-General, and all business before the House lapses. Uh, so everything that was on the agenda is wiped off, 
But traditionally, what happens is that all of that business can be reinstated by the new incoming government, and that's normal practice these days. Um, so for James from Tiaraha, his question about Ripley is a very good one. It's a strange, uh, archaic-sounding name, isn't it? Uh, but Rip Day is when the Governor-General advises the Electoral Commission to hold an election. It seems a bit sort of behind the eight ball, really, because we, we've all known there's going to be an election since January. But in formal terms, that's when the Governor-General, who does have ultimate responsibility, um, advises the Electoral Commission to, to, get, to go ahead and, uh, and organise it. And the writ itself is a document which sets out the closing date for candidate nominations for polling day, and um, the date for the final results of the election to be lodged uh, so that we know what the official result is. And the other thing that happens on writ day is advertising can start. Woohoo, the people at the ASA are going to be ecstatic. If there's a law passed to require mandatory teaching of core skills, you know, people will be able to writ better after that. They will. Their English will be improved significantly. After writ day, 15 September is the close-off for candidate nominations. So you've still got time if you want to get out there and have your um, your moment of fame. Um, the party lists have to be submitted by midday the day before on the 14th of September. So that's, that's that one calendar month out from the election. Yeah, so most of the party lists have actually been announced, but New Zealand First famously never announces its list until about an hour before the, the closing date. So that will happen, I assume, again on the 14th of September. And so that's for individuals, but for parties wanting to contest the election, uh, they must be registered before writ day, so um, ahead of the 10th of September. So if you and a bunch of friends manage to get 500 uh, people signing up to your party between now and then, the 10th of September, uh, it's not too late to launch a new party for the election. Okay, then we get into the um, early voting sort of dates. So there's overseas voting, there's early voting, and advanced voting in New Zealand, and and then we roll through to stopping advertising and having the election. So what are those dates, Evan? Uh, the 27th of September is when overseas voting begins. So we've got, we know we've got a few listeners from um, from other countries. So 27 September is the date that's relevant for you. Uh, and then back here in New Zealand, 2nd of October is when advance voting begins. So the polling booths will be open uh, in that two week lead up to the election. And uh, in the last, if the last two elections are anything to go by. Um, the bulk of people actually do vote ahead of election day. That's tricky for um, parties for the, uh, putting out their policy, isn't it? So it means you have to have substantially delivered your policies by this, the time that early voting starts. Yes, and when I was still in Parliament and you were campaigning too, Simon, um, lots of policies were rolled out in that last two weeks because that's when parties thought that voters were um, listening hardest. So election day, 14th of October, the polls will be um, open from 9am till 7pm and then we should have some indicative results rolling out from about 8, eight o'clock. There's, no there's no actual time for which a government has to be formed. Eh? They can keep on going um, you know, for weeks and weeks and weeks as has happened in the past trying to sort out a coalition. Hopefully that won't happen this time, but it has in the past, especially when Winston comes to town. When Winston Peters is involved, the negotiations do seem to take forever. Seven weeks, I think, was his record. And then he sort of got it down, whittled it, managed to whittle it down to five weeks for one election. Um, if he's not involved, things happen pretty quickly. Let's move it along to um, question number three. 
Tom from Palmerston North, obviously a defence uh, question this one. He said, you might have once expected National to be hawkish on defence, but repeated comments from the Blue Caucus suggest that they would privilege trade over national security and move New Zealand closer to China than our traditional security partners are. Do you think National can be trusted to navigate security issues according to the country's democratic values? That's a big question, but a very important one. Yeah, I mean, in an ideal world, trade and um, issues of national security should be considered together. You can't advantage one over the other uh, from uh, uh, the ultimate um, response, really, I think, is that national security has to be paramount and trade, the principles that you engage with in trade and the uh, trade partners that you're considering must fall broadly into your value set. Um, And I think that's where Tom is concerned because of the events happening um, in Asia at the moment. Yeah, there's a lot of very senior ex-National Party identities who are holding big roles in relation to China, you know, with investment banks and and the like. And I wonder whether that's part of the concern. I I don't see it as a big deal. You know, we have networks across the world we trade. Uh, what we do need to do is ensure that we um, we separate out our national security priorities from our defence priorities and then rejoin them where it suits us, uh, not someone else. And uh, sometimes the, you know, the person you're talking to or the accent or the language that you're hearing isn't necessarily representative of the, the stakeholder behind them. That might sound a bit obtuse, but I, I guess people in this field will know, understand what I'm saying. Yeah, I think that's right. And when it comes to trade, um, we shouldn't have all our eggs in one basket. Really important to have diversified portfolios. And, um, you know, more most recently, we've uh, seen a, a free trade agreement with um, with some of the European nations. Um, look, I, I can be quite blunt and say, um, whilst there, there's one issue is, you know, US versus China over Taiwan, uh, and you can argue that that's less of a, less of a problem for us, but what is a problem is um, shipping lanes. And at the moment, the South China Sea is international water. And the Chinese have made it pretty clear that they intend to change that and make it territorial water. And I don't think we can have a piece of that. Yeah, it is important that we have diversification in uh, the number of trading partners that we have to be wholly reliant or majorly reliant on one particular nation um, is problematic if something goes wrong with that relationship. Uh, there's a lot of moving parts, aren't there, in this whole equation. It's not just as simple as a bilateral relationship. There's lots of other uh, factors to be considering. Yeah, I mean, uh, people are talking about, well, should we be cozying up to BRICS, um, the group of countries? Well, every single one of them, in one way or another, we have some relationship with, but they also are a notable list of people who have appalling human rights um, records. So yes. you just have to be careful what you wish for. And yeah, a stable America is a good partner, an unstable one isn't. If we've got a situation at the moment where Trump still thinks he's going to run in the next election and he's not even turning up to the Republican Party primaries because polls are putting him so far ahead of all the other contenders that he doesn't think he needs to. Um, do we want to go back to being in a partner? Do we want to be in a partnership? for national security with a, a Trump America? Well, I don't. No, I think there are very few people who would want to to see that situation evolve. 
Um, but I think you're right. National security and defence do have to be separated at times. Defence is an important part of our national security, but the principles of good national security are about protecting the citizens um, of our nation, and that should be government's top priority always. Yeah, they say it a lot, do it very little, unfortunately. Anyway, we better not make this all about national security. It is a questions, <laughs> audience question session. What do we got? What's the next one, Heather? Um, the last question is from Nick from Sydney, who wrote to us after the podcast that we released about um, GST off uh, fresh and frozen fruit and veggies. And he says that he didn't agree with our analysis and that he compares the cost of fruit and veggies in New Zealand with those in Australia, which is a market he's familiar with at the moment, where he said taking GST off seems to be working very well. So firstly, um, we are always happy to agree to disagree, uh, but Nick, thanks very much for sending us your thoughts. It's really good to have the debate. And if we drill just down into those in a um, little more detail, he said it would be worth investigating how GST does work in Australia, where uh, raw foods, including meat, fruit and vegetables, are all GST free. He said that the supermarket computer systems are set up and there is no confusion and um, that our example was wrong, and he sent us a table um, saying that the cost of GST always lands with the consumer, and he felt that our analysis um, wasn't correct and that people would benefit from it here. So what do you think about that, Simon? Um, well, yeah, I, I agree. It's great to have a different point of view. I, I've, I've been through Nick's table. So he shows the example where, say, you know, a tomato at four dollars fifty plus GST, five eighteen versus, so the grower pays sixty eight cents GST, and then the wholesaler ends up paying the difference uh, when they pass it on. So that's seven cents, and then the supermarket pays um, again the GST on the difference, which is eight cents. So there's been a, a total of eighty three cents of GST paid along the way, and he then he shows the no GST example, which is a pretty easy to follow. I can't. Um, get it clear in my head where how deep you have to drill into the production chain to make a clean break, you know, from the cost of labour, the cost of petrol, and, um, you know, we've got a situation where you know, farmers in New Zealand have to fill out a form to get the road tax back off the diesel that's burnt in their tractor on the farm, and um, I'm in favour of a simple tax system with less churn, and that's my you know, num numbers notwithstanding, that, um, that's my primary concern is that there's no clean break in, in this uh, supply chain for where GST applies and not. Yeah, if the costs are loaded up with the producer, it's completely counterproductive because in order to make the same amount of money, they will need to pass additional costs onto the consumer and it all gets starts getting really messy. But I just come back to the fact that I think that what we need to do here is separate the GST out from helping vulnerable consumers. And so um, when the policy was announced, there was some thinking that the average cost saving for a family would be about $4 a week, $4 something a week. But when the numbers were looked at again, it, it transpires that they'll save $2.18 a week by doing this. And I just think there's much better and more targeted ways of helping those families that are struggling. Um, a tax cut, for example, would give them much more money than $2.18 a week, and they could decide for themselves where they wanted to make uh, any any savings or where they wanted to spend where they wanted to spend that extra money. Um, no two families are the same, and those that are best placed to 
decide for themselves how their income is spent are them. Um, so I think that this is messy and sounds like a lovely policy and we'll give some people money back, but actually let's just give them money back that they can decide for themselves how it's going to be spent. That's the end of our time. Thanks for the questions. They were really good. Generated some very good discussion. Yeah, and if you want to send some, some more questions in, you can send them to us on our contacts page at TalkPoint, T-O-R-Q-U-E, talkpoint.co.nz, uh, or on social media. You'll find us on Facebook and uh, Twitter and the like. Um, thanks for joining us. I'm Simon Ewing-Jarvie. And I'm Heather Roy. Talk to you soon. Mm -hmm.